Welcome everyone to Flyover Fallout. My name is Matt Baker, here joined as always with Santiago Beltran, and it's a good day, St. Louis. We're here to recap the 2-1 win, St. Louis City over Minnesota United FC Saturday night. Santi, let's just jump into it. I'm on cloud nine. I'm still here in Minnesota as we're recording this, and things couldn't be better right now. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Uh, I'm a little jealous because you got to see the game live. Well, it almost didn't happen. We were worried going into it that we'd have another situation like uh, FC Cincinnati, Columbus, FC Dallas, God forbid. But the game was played. It was really wet. It was raining. But thankfully, the the weather gods were shining. The soccer gods were pleased with our with ourselves. And they they gave us rain. And that's all. And I will take rain all day, every day, if it means we can get these matches in. And if it means our team performs like they ended up performing on Saturday night, because that was a performance. Yeah, I was keeping a, an eye on the forecast, um, and it looked like there was going to be some lighting, and I was yeah. like, oh my God, this is going to be a long night, and we weren't sure if we should start the the pregame show, but at the end, we, we went with it, and the game happened as a schedule, so that's great. Yeah, let's jump into it, because we have a lot to talk about. We're probably going to spend a lot of time on that second half, because that's when all the excitement really happened, but... Where there were a lot of thoughts going on with this starting 11. Uh, Roman Berkey, Kyle Hebert, John Bell, Josh Yarrow, Jake Nerwinski, Indiana Vasilev, Jabulu Blome, Salio Pompeu, Tomas Ostrak, Jared Stroud, and Nico Joachini. Santi, what were your first thoughts? Let me, let me get your first thoughts on this lineup when you saw it. So when I saw it, um, I got some uh, San Jose Airquays vibes, uh, like <laughs> when we played San Jose back in June and and the, the team um, had a few games where it wasn't getting results. Uh, there were a few changes to the lineup. So that's the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, maybe do some rotation for a change. Uh, yeah, some guys need to rest. But uh, giving opportunities to some of these other guys may may bring a spark to the team. And, and maybe it will be good. But at the same time, I was a little bit concerned. Like, yeah, the team um, already qualified for the playoffs. But... Um, continuing continuing getting results is important. So I was a little bit concerned, but at the same time, I, I have some hopes. I think that's why I, I was so optimistic going into this lineup because I've seen it time and again this year where the San Jose Earthquakes game is the perfect example. You do rotate and you do it intentionally with the, the depth that we have, but you run it out in a sense of you know what works against the style your opponent is trying to play. And Bradley Carnell mentioned last week that Minnesota at home is different than Minnesota away. And yep. I don't know if, if you felt the same. I felt it was a vastly different offensive team as well as defensively for Minnesota throughout. Yeah, definitely a, a different team. Um, they play different at home. Uh, one, thing, one more thing about the lineup. Um, one concern I had is that there wasn't any uh, Joachim Nilsson, or Tim Parker on the bench. So I was mm -hmm. a little bit concerned, what if somebody gets injured, we don't have a back at center back, but at the same time, I, I saw Kyle Heaver playing as left back. So I was like, if something happens, he will slide into, into center back and that would be the way to, uh, to find a, a replacement if needed. And that ended up happening at the end. And the other thing that was a little bit surprising was seeing uh, Jabulo Blom in the starting lineup uh, because he, he came out early on Wednesday's game and there were some concerns about um, 
Uh, I think it was a foot issue or a leg yeah. issue that Carnell mentioned. But uh, it was at the same time, it was good to see him in the starting lineup. That meant he was doing okay. And at the end of, at the end of the night, he ended up making the difference. Yeah, and our our predictions, I think, last week came true in the sense of rotation. But the personnel in the rotation was different. We it was surprising to see Blom in there. Uh, definitely a pleasant surprise because it seemed like the foot issue wasn't an, a deal at all. Whatever ended up happening last week, as far as the the issue itself, the medication, the stomach issues that he had that caused him to come out, seems to be resolved, which is fantastic to know. That's not going to be an ongoing issue. We can expect. And then, yeah, Nilsson and Parker kind of took away some of that center back depth that Bradley Carnell liked to tout going into this match. He was very explicit uh, in his comments last week about our center back depth and that being a strength of the team. So removing that was an interesting factor, especially when you start really all three of our center backs in Hebert, Bell, and Yarrow. So knowing that that we were not, we didn't have to deal with injuries for them. Everything was going really well. Um, John Bell comes off and we're able to move Hebert in the left back depth. And, and you're kind of seeing this like cascade effect, I feel, where the depth in different parts of the of the formations and the lineups can cover for other areas where you don't need four center backs on your game day roster to be effective. You can start with three and then move them around as you need to. One thing I was really I, I was watching the replay again on Sunday morning and I liked how they referred to our MLS next pro left side uh, with Salio Pompeu with um, Kyle Hebert and, and Josh Yarrow back there as well. You know, that, that kind of furthers the storyline throughout this year of our ability to find talent, develop them and then progress them on. I love that that is a continuing storyline in wins because I hearken back to the San Jose game where you have the same kind of story where you're looking at AZ Jackson, Josh Yarrow, Akil Watts, Sam Adeneron all starting in that game and you're highlighting the same kinds of things. And so to see to see this rotation where you bring those guys back in, Salio, you have Kyle back in, but you also have Jake Nerwinski starting again, who seems to be finding his form really well. And we're going to talk about him as one of the top players later, but it was, it was really good to see him. It was really good to see Ostrock have some good opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Overall, um, all the guys uh, play well. Obviously, we're going to, talk a little bit more on, on about the second half but mm -hmm. uh but yeah not a lot of chances on on the first half so even though the yeah. team was controlling what Minnesota was doing on the first half not a lot uh not not a lot happening on that first half a uh, couple of um opportunities um with Celio and with Ostrag and with Stroud but not much on the first half one thing I do want to say also is Rasmus Almos on the bench that's a positive. Yeah, that was positive too. Yeah, didn't didn't need to see minutes, so that's that's good. But it's good that he was able to go. So that's going to be a storyline we follow as well, um, along with the health and and of Nielsen and making sure there's no issues long term with him. Is Rasmus Alm returned to the game day roster? Happy to see that. Hopefully, he'll be progressing to either see minutes or start or or whatever that may be against Sporting Kansas City. But Santi, this match I thought was another tale of two halves, and and we're going to get into why it changed in the second half. But to start it off, it felt like Minnesota was controlling the ball wide. Uh, we were having we were having success kind of owning the midfield, and I felt that the ball was being played uh, through the width on both teams, and it was it was kind of effective by Minnesota. We created a few chances in the first half, but if you look at the passing network, it it was it looks as wide as it felt. 
And you have Celio Pompeu, Jake Nerwinski, Jared Stroud, both very wide left and rights, uh, respectively. But you also have some disconnection there between Blome and Vasilev. They they are a little higher up the field than I would have expected from our center backs. And I do wonder if that kind of speaks to the difference in center back styles. So you're having John Bell with Josh Yarrow back there as opposed to Tim Parker or Joachim Nilsson, who are more... We're, we're more familiar with how they distribute the ball. And it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of distribution from John Bell outside of Indiana Vasilev. He, he used him as his outlet on the left side. Kyle Hebert, Jake Nerwinski progressing the ball pretty effectively on the wings at times. But none of that really got anywhere. You know, you look at the possession that really skewed where St. Louis wanted it to in a less than 50%. You look at some of the XG numbers that weren't, weren't very high. But I would say that there were, to me, a couple opportunities in the first half. Did you see anything, I guess, noteworthy in the first half as far as our offensive production? No, so I was saying just just a couple of um, chances. Uh, the one the one chance that uh, Celio had uh, was a great play, but by Thomas Ostrak. Yep, um, that was good to to see. Uh, too bad at the end. Um, he uh, he didn't have a, a good shot, and he also had a chance to. Uh, to pass it to the right to to Nico, but in the end um, ended up shooting and uh, Saint Clair was was there. But uh, other than that, um, not much offense from the first half. I do wonder if the second half hadn't gone the way it did, if that moment in the twenty fourth minute would have been looked upon very much uh, more critically or more harsh, because it did remind me to to your point there of a few times in the second half last week against LAFC where there were feelings of uh, some of our attackers taking taking their own shots as opposed to laying it off or playing it to some of their teammates. And that was somewhat of a moment, even though I think Ostrak had a pretty clear vision to goal uh, with his opportunity on the rebound, uh, let alone what Salio did. But that that's one of the two chances I think we had in the first half. And so I wanted to call him out real quick before we move on to the fun stuff, is in the 20th minute especially, Nico Joachini really kind of drawing a yellow on Dane St. Clair where Nico Joachini had a really nice chance on the left side. It was a ball that was blocked away by Berkey, played Indiana Vasilev. The give and go that Indy and Salio had on the left was fun to watch before Indy. And they're kind of drawing the, def- the defense into the midfield, right? They're kind of passing back and forth. And that's something that I think doesn't get a lot of credit for St. Louis City is the way that we're able to have some of these short passes to draw in defenders. And that helps stretch the field for our attackers. And it worked with Nico getting wide left. Dane St. Clair just came all the way out of his box to our left side, cleared the ball, and then cleared it again after uh, play was getting ready to restart from Nico because he was so far out of position. And if he hadn't kicked the ball away, earning himself a yellow card, it very is, it's very much likely that Jared Stroud would have found some kind of shot on goal. We might have even gone over defensive heads. and it, That could have been a really nice opportunity. And then the 24th minute was the only other chance I saw in the first half that was significant. And this was nice because Berkey played it out to Blome out of the back. Blome was on the left side, and he was acting in kind of a, a left-back type role, not, not in a defensive shape or anything, but just his positioning on the field. And that's because uh, we, had, we had players so high up the field on the left with Hebert and Nerwinski on the other side pushing high, and then Blom was able to just send it long to Tomas Ostrak. Ostrak recovered it beautifully in the attacking penalty box, carried it centrally, laid it back for Celio Pompeu, whose shot was blocked, and then it fell back to Ostrak, who sent it wide. Other than those two chances, I think, Santi, we can probably move into the second half, which going into the second half, I don't know how you felt uh, just 
watching it on the broadcast, but there was definitely feelings of we're, we feel like we're playing for a draw in a lot of these moments. And, and we feel like we need some kind of spark because the first half there, it was very much an even contest. We had six shots. They had seven. We had 0.78 XG. They had 0.85. We had a few big chances. They had a few big chances. It just seemed like a dogfight, and it was pouring rain during all of this. So I think that's important to note too, is just the weather conditions and how it was a very nasty matchup going on in the field as the second half began. So what did you see at halftime and then going into the second half? Yeah, so definitely very difficult conditions. And you could see that um, at the beginning of the first half that uh, like balls were were going longer than guys would expect. And uh, it took the team a few uh, minutes to get used to it, although it continued struggling with that. But going to the second half, yeah, I agree with you. I was thinking, yeah, if nothing happens, uh, this will be... Uh, maybe a tie or could be one of those that Minnesota will get a chance and they will score and that will be a game. And and I was thinking at halftime, uh, it's funny because I, I mentioned it to, to Hector on the broadcast. I was like, I bet that around the 60th minute, we're going to see some substitutions and Leuven, Klaus and AC Jackson are going to come in. And then um, it was a really? before that. I did, yeah. I want to go back and, and look for the audio, but yeah, I, I remember mentioning that. Oh, that's great. That's perfect. I love that. And you almost had it down to the minute too. Yeah, very close. Yeah, but the thing that really got me about the subs is Carnell didn't wait. Um, and this was another instance to start the second half where, yes, they scored quickly. Yes, it changed the the flow. Who knows if Bradley Carnell was intending to make those three subs and he just decided to make them at that certain point because of the game flow. But to start the second half, it was it's one of those moments where it could have gone vastly different because this is one of those three or so moments that we always talk about that is game-changing in the sense that it dictates the tone for significant amounts of time in the game. So you have the beginning of the game, obviously, you have right before half, and you have right after halftime. You can look at some of the sub moments as uh, if they're if they're made properly, they can change the game, and I think we saw that. But Minnesota coming out as strong as they did in the in the first half, and and it wasn't even necessarily overly strong. I think in the run of play, it was just the weather also contributing to the fact. But they did put the ball in a very dangerous part of the field in 47, 47 minutes. They had a set piece from their right side when they sent it in. Um, Hagwan or Hagwane won a header kept the ball in the box, and Berkey goes after it, but he's not able to secure it on his first touch. And when he didn't secure it on the first touch, it seemed like things were getting um, a little chippy as far as in the moment. And he goes to grab it and ends up grabbing uh, Hassani Dodson from behind, just briefly, but briefly enough to earn the call, earn the yellow, and draw the PK that's finished by Timu Puki. And it's not, I don't think it's one of those you can argue, really, that... Berkey didn't deserve a yellow. I saw even some comments that uh, there was some calls for a straight red really? from what he did there. Yeah, a denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. I com- I don't know that I completely disagree. I just didn't give that enough thought to even um, see if Dodson had an obvious goal-scoring opportunity with where the ball was placed. Yeah. But I-, I don't think anybody can argue with the yellow. And that's something that you just have to, have to hang your hat on that it's kind of weather-related. Berkey didn't have a good grip on it. And it's unfortunate that that changed the tone for a period of time 
Um, did you see anything wrong with the yellow or wrong with the call? No, no, it was to me at least what I saw. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was a foul and and uh, he deserved the yellow. But that that's also uh, also shows how difficult the wet field was, and that's why he couldn't collect that ball. And at the end, he ended up grabbing a Dotson. Um, but yeah, early early in the second half, you you start thinking, okay, another. PK, um, Minnesota, two goals, two PKs. And uh, I was thinking, is, is this going to be it? Like Minnesota is going to beat us with two PKs um, without doing a lot. But um, thankfully, uh, the substitutions came. Um, I wanted I wanted to ask, so go ahead. You may have something to say, but uh, I'm going to interrupt you probably in a couple of minutes. Okay. Uh, well, so... The first thing that I saw in the 58th minute when we brought in the subs is it was Bradley Carnell being proactive with his subs. Uh, this is something that we've called for and we've just pleaded for for weeks, for months, is that don't let your second half substitutions be reactive. Be proactive, especially when you need to come from behind. So th there's a lot of things that play into this for me. And one of them is Bradley Carnell's insistence that – especially earlier in the season, that he doesn't play for ties. And I think this is what led to 27 games, two draws, is that if we're going to lose or if we're losing, we're going to go all out to try and get that back and keep going. And that's oftentimes what's led to multiple goals scored against us. We had it during Real Salt Lakes, during Seattle. When we lose these games by a couple goals or more, it's because we have this, this mentality of, uh, continuing to fight and not settle for a one goal loss or not settling for a draw and in continuing that. And over the past few games, I think we've earned our place with our draws, especially a way that we have to be proud of. But what happened at the 58th minute completely changed the game. And, and you can look at it from a stats perspective. Uh, let me get these two stats in real quick because I saw that there were only two shots on goal in this half for City before these subs were made zero during the run of play. It was just two. I think it was a Kyle Hebert and Nico Joachini header offset pieces. And then we had eight shots after. So 58 minutes in the second half, there were two shots from headers, zero in the run of play. And then from 58 on, we had eight shots that were made by this team. AZ Jackson, Klaus, everybody was getting in on it. And the dynamic shifted so massively. Yeah, definitely make an, made an impact right away. But Matt, on the 55th minute before those substitutions, there was a play in Minnesota's box that looked like a handball. Did you, do you remember that play? I didn't rewatch it this morning. I remember brief calls for a handball, but how close was it? To me, it looks like a handball, but I don't know what a handball is anymore. Maybe that's why I, I didn't make note of it. I just I'm I'm sick of it, and I don't want to. I I didn't want to have to have that conversation. And, yeah, make and I guess it doesn't point. matter because at the end, City ended up winning. But uh, it was just like, oh, I know, I know, a close one, not again. But it didn't matter at the end. But uh, but yeah, after the subs, like uh, one minute into it, City um, created a chance, and um, and uh, Celio and Klaus participated and mm -hmm. you can see how how valuable Klaus is like he held the ball long enough so so Nico could run behind and um too bad that Nico didn't shoot it and and then um 
AC didn't shoot it and uh, he hesitated about passing it passing it to Luven or Celio and and then Celio didn't have a shot but right away one minute into it you could tell okay this oh, yeah. is a this is a different team and they they kept on it so th- those eight shots were peppered throughout the half they didn't they didn't come all at once in a couple sequences and then after that moment you mentioned Santi things really happen at 64th minute. And I, I want to look at this because the, the second goal is the one that's getting all or nearly all of uh, the praise and highlights because of its historic nature. But 64th minute, St. Louis draws even. And the way that they do it is Klaus from Nerwinski. But there's so much more to that that goes into it. Oh, Yarrow recovered the ball, who was cleared away from Minnesota's penalty box. Yarrow passes it centrally to Leuven. Leuven lays it back for Joachini in the middle. And then plays it back to Leuven quickly. Leuven progresses it up the midfield just to his left. And then he kind of gets stuck for just a moment. So it, this is a possession-based attack at this point where Leuven has the ball. He's in the, the attacking half. And then he plays it back just a little bit. So he's still in the midfield open area. You can see there's Leuven in the middle. There's Klaus to his right. There's Nerwinski on the wing to the right. Leuven pulls it back, plays it wide to the wing to Nerwinski. When Nerwinski gets the ball... Watch Klaus. Watch this replay and watch what Klaus does. Immediately makes a beeline for the goal. And not just a beeline for the goal because it's congested in the box. But Nerwinski sends the ball up. And as he sends the ball up for a cross, what Nerwinski clearly does is he sends it up into space. He sees the open space and he just puts the ball there. Klaus sees the open space as he's running and puts himself there to find the ball, heads at home, one nothing. And the sequence itself from just the the way that these players are able to know what each other is going to do and know the right thing to do in each given moment, from even from Leuven able to pull it back and play it wide to give Nerwinski that opportunity. Maybe Leuven even saw the space himself because it was right in front of him when he pulled the ball back, and so he knew that this was a good opportunity for a cross. All of these things that go on in these players' minds and and really inside of what's what we see is so fascinating to me. And and the ability for Klaus to put himself there, the ability for Nerwinski to place the ball there, those are some of the things that we saw really early in the season and a, a reason why Klaus now has eight goals on the year. What a run by Klaus. And you just mentioned it before, uh, right when Leuven passed it to Nerwinski, like Klaus like was within the same distance uh, from from the box. And then he, he makes that big run. Uh, and uh, ends, ends up finding the ball. The first thing, a couple of minutes after, I was thinking, okay, that run by Klaus just shows that he's back. He's 100%. No oh, yeah. doubts about uh, that injury that kept him away uh, for a long time. So it was great to see that. Not only that he ended up um, scoring, but that run just shows that, that he's 100%. Mentally and physically. Yeah. And Minnesota tried to try to come back from that. They had a sub just a few minutes later, 71 minutes. They made their first sub to bring in Franco Fragapane. And, and it definitely didn't go well for them because it was just two minutes later that St. Louis continued to continue their offensive outburst. And this is another moment where you can really see what, what the difference that our subs made because this 73rd minute goal started from AZ Jackson. AZ wins a duel in midfield. And he begins the sequence overall with a through ball to Klaus, but it was played off by DJ Taylor, the defender from Minnesota. Taylor plays it back to Dane St. Clair, and St. Clair then tries to play it back again to DJ Taylor, playing it out of the back. And it doesn't work well because of Edu Leuven, another one of the subs. Leuven's high pressing. He dispossesses the ball from Taylor, and AZ Jackson is there to clean it up. 
He comes sprinting seemingly out of nowhere, picks the ball up on the left side, takes the ball to the end line in the left channel, drawing defenders in. Salio's in the box too. And then AZ's pass from the end line in the left channel to the top of the box where our South African golden boy, Jabulu Blom, <laughs> receives the ball with his right foot, steps over Michael Boxall, the defender, with his left foot, and then strikes just a perfect shot, top right shelf, 2-1 St. Louis. And Jabulu Blom has his first ever professional goal. First ever. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, it was a great goal. Um, all I can say uh, about how it happened, press, 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 like uh, St. Louis, uh, like Lubin pressing, AC Jackson pressing, uh, yes. Klaus uh, also pressing uh, St. Clair, so so he had to pass it back quickly. It was great to see uh, how the press uh, can result uh, in a moment like that, and and just um, great shot by uh, Jabulo Blom. He had one uh, a few minutes earlier after a mm-hmm. shot from Klaus that uh, he, he couldn't he couldn't make good contact that ended up going to to the side and i remember seeing i was i was browsing twitter last night and uh i don't remember who it was but somebody said something about that shot and then a few minutes later jabulo blown with his first goal and and uh, what an important goal um and not only the goal he had a great game too oh yeah and i remember that shot because when it occurred we were looking up uh, among ourselves in the in the stands saying that was Blom that shot that right and and almost as a harbinger of things to come what it ended up happening and that kind of did it so that was obviously where the game ended 2-1 but watching the last 25 or so or 15 rather watching the last 15 was fascinating because you see the tactical battle between Adrian Heath and Bradley Carnell really on full display you have a 74th minute sub where Anthony Marcanic comes in for John Bell that sees Kyle Hebert move inside to a center back role where we alluded to earlier. Then you have Minnesota subbing in Paddleford and Garcia that changes up their midfield shape. And then at 83 minutes, when you bring in Akil Watts for Nico Joachini, you obviously go more defensively. You're, you're knowing where the game's going. You're needing that additional reinforcement. So when Watts comes in for Joachini, I liked how we subbed, uh, not just subbed personnel, but changed our shape. And you saw we had that three in the back. We had Hebert, Yarrow, and Nerwinski. And this is something Jake Nerwinski has a lot of experience with from his days in Vancouver, is at a, a right center back. Now, what Vancouver did wrong is they played him on the left side, but Nerwinski has a lot of experience in three center back roles. I think this is a perfect opportunity to put him on full display of what he's capable of, and also further the fact that the form that Jake Nerwinski is in now is at such a high level, and he's once again in fans' minds of a, a very viable starting right back role, especially, and there was a comment in the chat, of uh yeah mark Alaverna mentions akil watts was called by bradley carnell as a backup for jabulu blom at the six and so does that open up an opportunity on the right back role i think we're looking at a similar situation as the san jose game and and there's a reason why we keep referring back to that we may refer back to minnesota in the same way but it it not just highlighted somebody's ability from akil watts to az jackson josh arrow highlights their ability to play regularly and to start but Bradley Carnell does like to run with hot hands in these scenarios and yes he does like matchup based formations matchup based lineups but he also ensures that if a player is playing at a high caliber performance he's going to consistently earn playtime both in practice he gets rewarded in a game successful in a game and he keeps going could be the same kind of thing with Jake Nerwinski 
it'll be interesting to watch how we roll out against Sporting Kansas City next week, seeing how Akil Watts, Jake Nerwinski, and then who subs for who. Are we able to take Jabulu Blome and, and play, play him a full 90? Is Watts going to play there? There's a lot of these nuances that are starting to develop in different places that we may had thought were wrapped up by a guy like Akil Watts. Yeah, but it's great to see that that you have that depth at um, right back. And kudos to uh, Nerwinski because he played um, the first 19 games and then um, basically Akil Watts took over. But uh, this week uh, during the pregame um, press conference, he he was asked about that and he was like, like, yeah, like I just put my head down and kept working, uh, waiting for my number to be called. And, and he, he mentioned that in that instance, uh, other players may have a different uh, attitude that in the end could be uh, could hurt their careers. And he said, no, I just kept working and I'm waiting for my chance. And when he got his chance, he, he took it. So now you have, uh, and Brady Canero talks about this all the time, uh, internal competition. Now you are going to have that internal competition between Nerwinski and Akil Watts. Bradley Carnell said something post-game regarding Joao Klaus that I found fascinating as far as that internal competition and not just who may be performing better individually and in specific roles like defensively. But when he talked about Klaus post-game, he mentioned that Klaus needs the supply. He needs the service in, saying we need to turn over the balls, we need to work in transition. So we get Klaus into good situations and he's prepared to do the dirty work for his teammates. So I, I like the fact that he called out what Jake Nerwinski did and what he's been adept at for most of the season is delivering service. And we saw it earlier in the season with a guy like uh, Johnny Nelson, you know, from the left side delivering service to Klaus before the, the role kind of reversal there against Kansas city in the first game. But Klaus needs this kind of service. And we, we can see consistently now Jake Nerwinski is able to deliver that from the right side. Nerwinski is always on the tops of, touches and progressive carries when he's in the game. And so he he offers a very clear-minded approach from the right side that I really do think benefits Klaus a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. And and, and maybe depending on the opponent, sometimes uh, we will see Watt, sometimes we will see Nerwinski, but it's great to have a couple of options, um, especially going into the playoffs. And, you know, uh, sticking with Nerwinski for a minute, one thing that he said post-game, and so we meant, I talked about what it looked like watching the game and what it looked like on the replay from what Klaus, Leuven, and Nerwinski were doing during that first goal. What Jake Nerwinski said is that when he got the ball, Klaus and him actually made eye contact. Mm. Nerwinski says Klaus kind of just pointed to put it in, and Nerwinski said, I trust the guy because he can jump and he can head the ball the best out of any attacker in this league. So I just put it up into a good spot and he put it in. What I would love, if there was video from the opposite side where you could see, because Klaus's right. back was turned, if you could see him do one of his his little points, that would be that would be kind of next level. I would really enjoy that. Yeah. But that's the kind of that's the kind of conversation, the kind of almost implicitly knowing your teammate and and trusting them that we were talking about. Yeah, because when I was looking at the replay, I tried to look for some sign of that, but I didn't see anything. So maybe we'll get a another a different angle. Maybe uh, the video guys from City will will have that angle and we'll be able to see it. Yeah, that's going to be something to watch for on those uh, amazing video videos that uh, City puts together. I love those. Yeah, they're fantastic. The the other post game thing that I want to say is pivoting a little bit to Jabulu Blom, uh, because he was uh, the player of the game. He was he was. I think a lot, no, most everybody's choice. I think it was like 80% at one point on the app voting for him. 
Blome had mentioned uh, on the team's mood after falling behind in the second half because we talked about the game flow. We talked about how the subs can change it. And Blome called it a wake-up call because we came back to the changing room uh, after after halftime. Coach told us we needed to up our game, one more gear. And so after that second half, he said it was kind of a wake-up call to lift ourselves up. And, th- and that Blome as kind of the centerpiece and what the importance he brings to the team on both sides of the ball. Important that he's calling it that. And he's he's responding well to the coaching staff, to the players, to some of those leaders on the team coming in and making a difference. Yeah, he, he was really um, not only the goal, but uh, he, he played really well. Um, the last few games, uh, he had not, at least to me, he had not been in, in, in his best form. Uh, he had mm-hmm. had better games and... Uh, I had seen a lot, a lot of people complaining about um, his passing and and uh, losing a lot of balls. But yesterday he was back to uh, that Jabulo Blom we know. And um, when I was rewatching this morning, um, one of the uh, Spanish broadcaster uh, referred to Blom talking about Blom. He said, "Está en todas partes." Like he's everywhere, and 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 he is like. Um, He's all over the field and uh, always um, recovering the ball. Like uh, if there is a, if somebody gets beat, um, right there to uh, to recover. The great game by him. Yeah, and he's where we need to start when we talk about players and some of the stats and highlights. Jabulu Blom, like we said, scored his first goal for City, also his first professional goal, not just in MLS but in general. Didn't score any goals with Kaiser Chiefs when he played in South Africa. With this goal. Jabulu Blom becomes the 16th different MLS goal scorer for City, tying the team with Charlotte FC for the largest such total by an expansion team in their inaugural year. And that's important for two reasons, not just that we can spread the ball around and score goals, but the volume of goals being scored by those players and the significant difference in standing between us and Charlotte FC. I'm sorry, I just had to get that out there. (laughs) You had to do that, right? (laughs) I can't, I mean, you have a stat like that. I can't not address the fact that Charlotte's inaugural year was a, a dumpster fire and we're having the time of our lives. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great year. So now uh, tied with Charlotte. So you have uh, three games to get a different goal scorer and uh, just get that record. Yeah, we got to think of uh, who that's going to be. Maybe that'll be a question for our Thursday stream is which new goal scorer is going to score in the final three games to put us on top over Charlotte in that in that stat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll if think about I, it. If, yeah, uh, I'm going to say Akil Watts. That would be fun. Reminiscent of some MLS Next Pro goals last year from outside the box, just sending one in. Yep. I could get behind that. Blom in this game, though. Tied for first in, in the team with tackles with Salio Pompey with four. Tied for second on the team with Josh Yara with three interceptions. Kyle Hebert led with four. Blom also led in tackles in the mid and the, in the defensive third areas. And so I looked at specifically because of your point there about Blom being all over the place. And knowing that he led the led the team in tackles in some of these key areas, it it really furthered his role as the sweeper, as the cleaner mm-hmm. in the defensive midfield, just taking care of business and and really helping our backline out, providing the stability that we need when we have some backline rotation like that. Because you look at uh, Josh Arrow and Kyle Hebert, who both led the team with uh, clearances. They both had Josh Arrow and Kyle Hebert had double digit clearances with twelve and eleven re- respectively, but. John Bell also had a fine game as center back. He had a good yeah. game. He, he did what he needed to do. He protected the ball. He was cohesive with Josh Yarrow. I thought they had a, a good dynamic, and it really, uh, at least up until his sub, um, 
they did what they needed to do. And ultimately, that's really what you want from your center backs. You want them to keep the ball out of dangerous areas inside the box. You want to give Berkey a chance. You don't want to overload him. And I thought they both did a great job. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like uh, what uh, John Bell did. Uh, and um, you have to think about he hasn't played much, but when he has gotten his opportunity, he has he has done well. Too bad uh, he... Um, couldn't finish the game, but um, I like what he did overall during the time he was there. Yeah, and the other the other player, I think, shifting to the offensive side a little bit, Klaus. I mean, what more can you say on Klaus? Klaus scored. Klaus has scored three goals in his last four matches now. His injuries behind him mentally and physically, and he is rounded into the form that we really, really hope to see in this playoff push. And and. He's the difference maker. He's the X factor on the offense. What he does on and off the ball and how his teammates trust him to make these moves and to finish like that. Like that that quote from Jake Nerwinski kind of blows my mind in the sense of we have this player on our expansion team. We kind of knew what we hoped to get from him. Nobody else knew him coming into the mm-hmm. season. And what he's been able to provide both to his teammates and to fans has been pretty remarkable. But but Santi I do have to ask, last week, if anybody was listening to last week's show, they know that we talk, we discussed and we took bets on whether Klaus would be able to get two double-digit goals. <laughs> he needed three in our last four games, I think it was. So we have three games left. Yeah. Right? Three games left. Klaus has eight goals. Can he still get to double digits? Yes. Uh, I said yes last time. I'm going to say yes now. Now he's two goals away. Three games. Obviously, I'm right there with you. I think he gets it. I think sport. he might even get it against Sporting Kansas City. Wouldn't that be fun? Ooh, a brace. That would be pretty great. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, some of the other players to really tout from this game against Minnesota, Jake Nerwinski picked up his second assist of the season. The work he did on the right side was tremendous. AZ Jackson, that other difference maker when he came in to be a sub. And, and AZ Jackson, besides the work he did on the field, He was the player that when you didn't see him in the starting lineup, everybody was wondering what's going on because he was available at the press conference. We like to use that as (laughs) as, as our indicator, even though they've proved us wrong a few times, but also his history with Minnesota. And so when you don't see him in the starting lineup, you immediately have to think, well, first you check the bench to make sure he's healthy enough to play. When you see him there, you have to think he's going to be a difference maker in the game. He's going to be a sub. He's going to come in. He's going to run all over the pitch. And we saw exactly that where he recorded his fourth assist of the season, giving him five goal contributions on the season with one goal and four assists. But his work, again, on and off the ball to create and just to add a change of pace to Tomas Ostrak, where I think he provides a lot more of, of a dynamic energy Ostrak is fantastic with the ball at his feet. He's fantastic in playmaking. He's a great number 10. But AZ just provides a different level of spark. And the story of AZ Jackson, the the myth and the legend continues to build. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's great to see him doing well against his former team. Back in April, uh, when Minnesota beat City at City Park, uh, he came um, second half, um, but um, wasn't able to to make a difference. But it's great to to see him now starting. And uh, even though he didn't start yesterday, he ended up um, with the assistance for that game-winning goal. I think he has to walk away from this happy and excited for what he was able to show his former team and the coach who was so quick to dismiss him for $150,000 in allocation money. <laughs> Can't forget that we acquired him for that. 
What a steal. What a steal. You know Adrian Heath is looking back on that thinking what could have been, especially with this matchup where their star number 10, Emmanuel Reynoso, was out. Could you imagine the difference in just everything in, in an alternate timeline where AZ Jackson stays with Minnesota, Reynoso's deals this year happened, he gets a chance to play in spotlight for Minnesota, and, and they're able to take advantage of everything that we've had this year. It, it's a testament to what Lutz was able to identify and gather from Minnesota and other clubs we've talked about. But, man, those are just some of the things that you just wonder what if, and you're glad that St. Louis is on the side we are right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, that that shows what a great job Lutz um, did recruiting and trying to find players that will fit the style, even though they weren't uh, playing with their team, getting a lot of chances. So, so yeah, it's great to see uh, things like uh, AC, Sam Adeniran, like Nico Joachini. Like yeah. we can probably make a long list. Um, but yeah, For it's days. great to see. It's great to see AC um, doing well when he when he gets the opportunities. Yeah, that that could be a, an off-season show. Is the the players that Lutz took from others that they undervalued or didn't value? Because I think it would probably be the entire team if we're talking domestically yeah. and internationally. But there are some other players and stats that I do want to spotlight because that was the 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 highlights, the flashiness, right? The subs, uh, the work that that Berkey did in net, all those things that were flashy. But there were some other things that I think played into how we got into those opportunities and how we played the game, starting with Salio, Tomas Ostrak, and Indiana Vasilev in some of the stats that they led the team in. Progressive carries, Salio led it with seven. Uh, Ostrak had four. Indy had two. Ostrak and Indy obviously left to the 58th minute. But progressive carries, carrying the ball up the field and progressing it towards goal, at least 10 yards. Um, they were, and this fits what you remember with Salio, because I remember seeing so many opportunities where he just took the ball and he ran up the field, and then everybody else was kind of trying to create space around him. Shot creating actions. So any action you took that led to a shot, it could be a shot itself, it could be a key pass, it could be um, a tackle that leads to a shot. Salio had five, Ostrak, Indy, Blom had four, Klaus had three in his 33 minutes. And so seeing those those names pop up where you mentioned Blom's shot before his goal, his goal itself, some of the progressive passes that he had into AZ, into Tomas Ostrak, uh, those led to some of those shot creating actions. Passes into the final third, where you're taking some of our midfielders, our wingers, and seeing who's actually delivering service, who's putting the ball into some of those final third areas that lead to some of these shot-creating actions. Indiana Vasilev led the team with six. Jake Nerwinski, Jabulu Blom, and Edu Leuven all had four. So you're seeing work come from the midfield, both deep and high with Edu Leuven. You're seeing work come from the right side into, into the final third. And I mentioned Josh Yarrow and Kyle Hebert with their double-digit clearances. Salio Pompeu also, Salio got a lot of love, uh, deservedly, uh, for his work when he was in the game, uh, playing the full 90. Everything was great, and he had three carries into the penalty box that were were leading the team. And that's notable because, well, one, that led to a shot in the first half, but also the consistency of carrying the ball into the box as opposed to just delivering service provides another facet of St. Louis's offense that is often overlooked to me. And I, I see a lot of uh, refer- references, especially nationally, to energy drink soccer, right? And so sending the ball, spray mm-hmm. and play. Well, these kinds of stats where Salio's carrying the ball three times into the penalty box disproves that. It shows that yeah. we are talented with the ball at our feet, multiple players. The goal that was scored by Klaus began that kind of way. The goal that was scored by Blom was that way. 
I mean, there's a lot of different ways the city team can can really attack you. But the final thing for Salio is his, his the amount of time he's carrying the ball. And so not just uh, the number of times carried into the penalty box, not just the number of progressive carries, but distance-wise. We don't get full distance information as far as who ran what. Uh, the team keeps that pretty pretty tight to themselves. But we do see stats on distances with the ball. And so Salio led the team in total distance and progressive distance with the ball. 187 total yards, progressive district, uh, dis- total distance rather, 187 total distance, 91 yards progressive distance. And so the difference is total yards carried with the ball and total yards carried with the ball moving towards the goal. Progressive numbers are moving straight towards the goal. These total per- total distances carried are just moving with the ball. So you could be going backwards, you could be going left, right. Salio carrying the ball all over the pitch, being safe and guarded with the ball. The next highest was Indiana Vasilev with 153 total yards. Roman Berkey and Tomas Ostrak were next with 89 and 76 progressive yards. So you see Berkey progressing the ball up just a little bit himself consistently. Not a surprise given his style of play, but this one's Salio to tout. This one in Salio as the ball carrier, as being smart, consistent, and effective carrying the ball. Yeah, Celio had a great game, and and it's great to see that that he's back into uh, consideration. He had a stretch of games uh, where he wasn't in the lineup, uh, went and played with um, City Two for a few games, and now out of the last three games, he had started in two, and and he's showing that that he deserves uh, to continue getting some minutes. Um, I think he um, when uh, when Nubi Torrison was signed, um, I think. Uh, the coaching staff obviously wanted to see what what Torison will provide, and uh, as part of that, Celio um, ended up not getting minutes and going back to uh, City Two. But uh, I'm glad he he's taking these chances and showing uh, how valuable he is for the team. That's right, and that that's highlighting our depth because Nuki Thorson didn't feature, and I don't think anybody's really thinking about him today. But that's something to keep in mind: is that level of talent who's been productive for us and effective in his own right didn't feature and we still pulled out a win and a, a pretty a pretty good win at that the club itself has some notable stats that we got we got to get out there before we go so with this win we mentioned the the charlotte stat city with this win ties lafc for the most wins by an expansion team in their inaugural season in mls history excluding the shootout era because the chicago fire in their inaugural season uh, i believe had uh, a few more but that was a shootout era LAFC, this would be 16, of course. And so we look to improve on that and take this record for ourselves over the next three games. City has extended their unbeaten streak to four straight games after a few draws in there. City has recorded their fourth come-from-behind victory of the season, tying the team with Minnesota United in 2017 and LAFC in 2018 for most victories of that type by an expansion team. And City now has six road victories. And this is important so as we go forward uh there has been a notion that st louis is not a good road team and in and of itself having five wins coming into this i get it like i understand that you look to the stats and you see 10 wins at home you see five wins on the road you see us drawing recently on the road and you make the conclusion that we have difficulty playing on the road we are a subpar team on the road and my my argument against that is context because MLS, I can't, like I, I say it every single week, I feel, 
MLS is a difficult league to win on the road. Yeah. It is it is one of the most difficult leagues in the entire world, statistically speaking, to win on the road. And you look at you look around us at the landscape of not just our conference, but elsewhere as far as road wins go. City was already conference leaders in home wins with 10. They are now, right now, tied with Seattle, Real Salt Lake, and Minnesota themselves for most away wins with six. We, we are tied for the lead in our conference in away wins. Think about that compared to the narrative that we heard of City has difficulty winning on the road and this is a, a big glaring hole in their style. In fact, let's expand it to MLS. City is the only other team with more away wins in the entire league than City right now is Orlando City with seven. St. Louis, realistically, Santi, I think needs to be in the discussion for one of the best away teams in MLS. And I don't think we get near enough credit for this. No, we, we don't even get credit for, for the whole season now. I was um, I was looking at the preview for this game. And uh, remember uh, one of the analysts, uh, it was funny because he had one good thing and then one bad thing. <laughs> First, he said, okay, my vote for coach of the year is going to be Bradley Carnell. I was like, oh, great. Now he's turning around. Coming around. Uh, getting around that corner. But then he said, but... I'm going to put an asterisk on their season. And uh, what he said was that uh, after that 5-0 start, CD had not been great. And um, that just made me think, I was like, I'm going to go back and see how many points uh, CD will have and the other teams in the conference. I, I didn't look at every team, but I look at the first seven. So obviously CD had that 5-0 start, 15 points. So... 53 points total without those mm -hmm. 15, it will have 38. And I went back and look at what, where other teams will be. LAFC mm -hmm. will be at 34. They also had, um, they, they didn't win their five games, but they had a uh, three wins and uh, two ties. So they will be at 34. Seattle Sounders will be at 35. Houston will be at 37. RSL would be at 40. And, um, and since everybody hasn't played the same amount of games, right. uh, points per game, City will be at 1.46 and only Houston at 148, RSL at 1.6 and Vancouver at 1.58 will be better than City. So, so yeah, like um, there were some up and downs after that 5-0, but this is MLS and, and the team is still hanging and it's still in first place. I saw that, and the notion of trying to – I think uh, David Goss said it best on that podcast, Extra Time, is where they talked about what you're, talk, what you're referencing, where this was written, that taking out five games to start the season, it is, it is the literal cherry-picking of all types exactly. of stats to try and prove your point. And for that to even be a notion – the other teams you mentioned, Houston, Vancouver, Real Salt Lake – not a single person is talking about them as the best team in the conference or even in the conversation as the best team in the conference. David Goss's quote in on extra time in regards to this being made was this feels like you went out to do gymnastics and you came out with the wrong answer. So they tried to tried to find a way to discount by saying all oh, the hot start. If it, if it wasn't for that hot start, because form matters now, if it wasn't for the hot start, they wouldn't be anywhere near. We wouldn't be talking about them. Yes, you would. You would still be talking about them. You might not have as many people with 
uh, able to back up these glaring, um, amazing things that they're doing record setting standings, but they would still be near the top of the table. They would still be comp- competing for home field advantage, all these yep. things. You'd still have to deal with St. Louis city as a good, great expansion team. And, and this, if anything proves that, yes, it was an amazing start, but even if you discount the start, we're still right there and we're not going anywhere. Yeah, no, and and yesterday uh, you said a four come from behind win that had not happened since that win against Portland Timbers um, yeah. back in March. So it had been a while. So I think this is also um, great for the team to see they can uh, come back in games. And uh, the other thing, uh, the team had not win uh, an away game in a while, also since uh, July eight. Yeah. Yeah. They, they'd stock, they'd stock those up and front loaded on those. And it's good to get back into form again, uh, as you were finishing off these, these last three games. Cause now we have two home games and one away, which seems like Santi, a good time to start to get out of here. Cause we've been talking for almost an hour. We could probably talk for a few more if we didn't have things to do, but let's look going forward. Minnesota United, poor Minnesota United falling to 11th place in the conference, nine, 11 and 10 record. They fall to three, four and eight at home below Sporting Kansas City, now two points behind FC Dallas for the ninth and final playoff spot. Things are not looking great for them, and they hope to get their star Emmanuel Reynoso back for their playoff push. But we're done with them. We might see them in the playoffs. We're done with them. Let's look inward. St. Louis City remains first in the West now with 53 points on a 16-10-5 record, 16 wins, 10 losses, 5 draws. We improve, like we said, to 6-7-3 away from City Park. We look to go home next week against Sporting Kansas City. We look to cement different things in the playoffs, which that's my go home is yes. Now we improved to having 16 wins. We improved to six away wins, but we're starting to be able to focus more and more on the playoffs. We know we've clinched the playoffs. We are there. Statistically speaking, we can't fall below Portland or San Jose, but every other playoff team could statistically surpass us. If we, if we go winless, if their schedules fall perfectly, we could end up there. Practically speaking, realistically speaking, the way we like to talk, we feel pretty comfortable. So next week, Santi, next week is going to be massive. And we're going we're gonna to cover it all on Flyover Thursday night for our stream and when it comes out on pod later this week. But there's a lot of scenarios that's going to be at play next week. It's going to be fun to talk about them. It's going to be fun to look forward to, especially with a win. Because in general, if, if we win against Sporting Kansas City, we can clinch a top seven spot. We can clinch a first round matchup. We can clinch home field advantage and with a win against Sporting Kansas City next Saturday and a loss by LAFC next Sunday or a draw, I think, I believe we would clinch the conference championship. I think I did the math on that this morning, but it was before I had my coffee. So don't don't come after me if I'm wrong on that. Moral of the story, the takeaway next weekend is going to be massive and it gets to be against Sporting Kansas City at home. Honestly, what more could we ask for? It's going to be crazy on Saturday night. Uh, another classical between Sporting KC and, and City. And and yeah, City on, on the verge of making history and possibly clinching uh, first place in the conference, uh, depending on, on other results. But, but yeah, Matt, with 53 points, uh, even though mathematically a lot of things have not happened, I think it's safe to say that City will and at least in the top four. You heard it here first. I didn't say that. Santi did. (laughs) Santi, before we get out, I do want to, I don't think we've said this on the pod, but this past week, um, there was was some Twitter polls that went went around of 
different different media, different um, personalities on Twitter in in the MLS ecosystem, and you were voted by not just the St. Louis fans but the national fans <laughs> as the best bilingual analyst in ML, all of MLS, right? New, new. New, okay, best but new bilingual analyst. So yeah. congratulations. I wanted to make sure we got that out here because I, I often feel, I like to say that a lot of our players and our team doesn't get the credit that they deserve nationally or anything. Um, I'm glad to see you getting the credit that you deserve because you're my favorite person to work with. You you and Phil and Stu are just the best and, and Julian is amazing now. I'm glad he's with us. But Santi, congratulations. You deserve that with your work here, which is amazing. Uh, and, and your work on... On the broadcasts, your interviews, they're always fantastic. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to get to talk to you multiple times every week. So congratulations. Thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, it is great to uh, see uh, the love from people. And and when I, when I saw that, um, I was uh, traveling during the week, so I was a little bit disconnected. But when I saw it, I was like, uh, I, I bet St. Louis is going to do its best thing. And and both, and uh, it's it's appreciated. I appreciate the, the love from uh, St. Louis. So it's great to be recognized. Well, again, very well deserved. And that's all the time we have. Do you have anything else for us this week, Santi, or are we good to go celebrate some more? No, let's keep celebrating. All right, for Santiago Beltran, my name is Matt Baker. Thanks for joining us on this week's Flyover Fallout to look at our 2-1 win over Minnesota. Let's keep the party going this week and look forward to sporting Kansas City next week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Vamos City. Oh, 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 oh,